We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. Yo, y'all, welcome to another episode of the Eight Black Hands. Uh, I am here with uh, a pretty illustrious group, man. Uh, Eight Hands is on fire, all three of them. They've been going in, they've been killing it. Um, let's see how these brothers is doing. Uh, I'm going order of the fire they released. I think I'm going to get the order right. Hopefully I do. I think it was Ray was first. How you feeling today, Ray? Bro, I'm I'm well. Um, no complaints here. Happy Mother's Day to the mothers. If you are in the audience and you are a mom adjacent to mothers, because everybody has a mother, uh, happy uh, Mother's Day to, to, to y'all folks. And I just got one request. The same energy that you have today for your mother, have that same energy tomorrow. Mm. That's what's up. Uh, I think Chris. Yes, Chris was second because Sharif did some stuff, but it was a it was a it was a, <laughs> a, a marathon piece. So, yeah. but Chris published second. So, how you doing, good brother? Oh man, I'm. Uh, I've been good. I've been kind of wiped out today. I felt like I had food poisoning. But Yikes. first of all, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers of the world. Thank you for civilization. We appreciate you. To my own mother and to my wife, who is the person who keeps this entire family active and living and alive, uh, is the center of this family. It makes everything happen for us from day to day and keeps us on track and alive. Nothing but appreciation. Um, take your health, everybody, very seriously. I woke up this morning not knowing what was going on. I had like 80 things going on. So I sat underneath a blanket just about all day long. Um, and after this, I'm going right back to my blanket. So, <laughs> well, brother, I'm, I'm yeah. glad that you're yeah. here, man. And definitely take care of yourself, man. And then uh, we're we going to round this out with, with, with young Sharif. How you doing? How you doing, sir? Uh, fire starter. Doing well. Doing well. Sharif the fire starter. Huh. Man, hopefully you feel better, man. And uh, yeah. you know, definitely see what you're today must. I'm learning from y'all. I got <laughs> peppermint, dandelion, root there tea. There you go. There you go. I got what <laughs> tastes like a cup of watery dirt, just like y'all be drinking. So <laughs> so uh, we're gonna make it happen. I feel you. I feel you. Yeah, doing well, man. I echo uh, what everybody else said. Shout out to mothers, you know, celebrating motherhood. As Ray said, bring that same energy all the time because, you know, motherhood is the uh, the essence of our being. And we, we deeply appreciate all, all the mothers who not only mother their own children, but nurture and take care of other people's children as well. So appreciate that. That's what's up, man. Uh, well, you know, I, I just wanted to just send an appreciation to you, cats. I've been getting heat because people are like, why you didn't write nothing? Are y'all like breaking up? People be asking weird stuff. Uh, it's like, <laughs> nah, I just didn't want to write nothing about, about that one. And they already killed it. I don't need to. They doing that thing, man. So uh, I do just want to honor and just appreciate all three of y'all just publicly. You know what I'm saying? I think that the way that just the, the, the constraint and restraint and also just the educating piece of it because I know I would have chose violence but like all three of y'all just did a really good job no I'm really no I'm really like it wasn't repetitive y'all all said something different and I think that it lifted the whole profile so uh this is one of those moments where I've been 
dragged in a positive way by the A Black Hands brand. So I just wanted to sh- shoot y'all that. Love. We should just say quickly too mm-hmm. that people don't, might not know what the it is. Got you, got you. Well, yes. y'all so had you know, eight shows about it, but <laughs> no. But I, I mean, just in case people don't know what the it was, mm-hmm. we were the three of us responded to. Uh, there is a growing right wing push to outlaw critical race theory in schools and to stop schools from being able to teach history the way that history should be taught, which is through a critical lens of anti-racism. That is a growing move, is growing on that side of the movement, the right wing side, the left wing or the, the counter wing is weak. So nobody, so many of these broadsides are going unchallenged. Mm. The three of us actually challenged it a little bit this week and wrote something about it. Yeah, and y'all, and 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 we'll make sure y'all get those links again too, because it's beautiful and it's great. Here, you know, I thought about it and I was like, you know what? Let me go do something else with that energy because it wouldn't have been positive. I wouldn't have added nothing good to the space. I just took that opportunity to work on that book and get some resources out to young people, man. And like, yo, first in family people for black kids. Let's go. That's so the three hours I would have took writing that. I put somewhere else. So, um, and I didn't, I, this is growth. Y'all, y'all, this is growth, people. I have grown. Ray, I'm growing. <laughs> I'm growing, Raymond. Uh, I, I, I appreciate that, man, because, hey, listen, it, it's, it's hard. It's hard to remain positive in this space and respond to the foolishness, bro. And then it's like, you know, there, there are people that, that that are writing stuff and you're like, damn, I used to respect you. <laughs> well, I mean, I, listen, I think homie took it well, to be honest with you, especially when Sharice came out. Oh, okay. But but I would just say this, like, you know, and I'm going to our guests, but I, it y'all handled it so well. And I was like, you know, who are the people, the people that I work with every day that I'm trying to work for? That dude don't exist in a world. It's important stuff and it will impact them. But I'm like, what, what's the most urgent needs for these people? And, and I got a lot of young people that's about to go to college. I'm getting a lot of emails from people like, yo, can you mentor my kid? Ain't none of us been to college before. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to write a book. And so, you know, we all use our energy in a good way, man. But that leads us into this guest. And I'm super excited about this guest now. I know he he might not love me for putting him on after the last guest we had, uh, which was a, a, a firecracker in and of itself. Uh, those the, our last show was just amazing. This brother Kamar Ogwen, look, I got his bio here. I'm just gonna go from the heart though, man. I've known this brother since undergrad, and he's just always been a super solid dude. Um, he's always been just an amazing educator. And the segments that we have cut up today, I think, will be able to show sides of that. And he is he is super germane to Oakland, and he is in this space. Um, He's dedicated his life and his career to black students. He now works in Berkeley Unified. He built the Emoja program. You should check that out. We'll drop that link down. And it's beautiful. I mean, you know, y'all had Kion talking about reconstruction, which was dope. You know, Kamar is doing like something pretty similar, like in the flesh in Berkeley. And Berkeley is not an easy place for a brother to be working. Kamar didn't say that. This is me saying that. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I, cause I ain't got a job for you if they, if they got a problem. Um, the brother is the principal owner of Black Prism Group an education consultancy designed to create tailored uh, learning opportunities that build adult capacity for the end purpose of improved educational experiences and outcomes for black learners. He is an Oakland native. And I want to just put that out there again. And he credits his community for helping him to understand the relationship between education and social mobility. He holds a BA from Cal State Hayward with me, uh, which is now East Bay. And he graduated summa cum laude. I'm saying that because there's a part in this show where we're going to talk about the academy and black men 
and, and some of our best and brightest black men and how they get treated. Chris, you are going to love this section. I put it in just for <laughs> you. And uh, with no further ado, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, uh, my brother, uh, somebody that I look up to, and I don't say that about cast my own age very often, uh, Kamaro Gwen. What's up, man? Peace, brother. It's good to be here with y'all today. How y'all doing? Good to see you, man. Welcome. Good, welcome. Man. Welcome. welcome. So, so Kamar, just real quick, I, you know, that didn't really do you justice. I know you met Ray and I, I'm glad you get to meet the other brothers today, man. But just tell us just a little bit about your story um, and about the work you do in Berkeley. Let's just start there. And then the brothers can kind of ask you questions and get to know you. Yeah. So first, just like you brothers did, I'd be remiss if I don't give a shout out on Mother's Day to my own mother uh, and the community as well. Right. Not just my mother, but the community of women who raised me to be the man that I am. In fact, it was my mother who encouraged me to get into education. Uh, So me, in terms of the work that I do uh, in Berkeley Unified, uh, as Charles said, I started the uh, Emoja program about two years ago. Uh, I was brought into uh, Berkeley Unified, a highly liberal place. Uh, that are struggling to try to figure out how to educate black students. And so I've been there for two years and Emoja is really designed um, to be representative. One, representative to the students about the possibilities that they can achieve, right? And two, representative to the other folks who are in the building or throughout the district who haven't had a chance to see the brilliance of black students. It's one thing to say that a student isn't capable. It's another thing to not uh, have to deal with that if you see the same student down the hallway in an Emoja class performing well and getting great academic outcomes. Uh, So our whole thing with Emoja is, let's not focus on auxiliary and outside of the things of the classroom. Meaning oftentimes as brothers, we get pitted into, you can be a mentor, right? You get pitted into after school program. Uh, However, I wanted to attack the classroom and be in a classroom with instruction because I wanted them to be able to see that our babies are ready and willing to do academic rigorous work. What's up, man? Uh, any of the fellas want to like ask anything about it, man? I, I'm really excited about that program, but I'm gonna let you brothers go ahead. Yeah. So, so what what do you think informed you in terms of like coming into this space? Because you know, I, re- I read some of your bio, and and I, I have it at memory. I'm not looking at the paper like Charles. So, violence yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this early in the show, bro. It's only like ten minutes, but go. <laughs> Do you, bro? Your time is AP. Like, how, how, how did that influence, like, you know, your trajectory in terms of, like, what you're doing now? Say that again for me. Your time as a t- assistant principal, you were assistant principal at one time, right? Yeah, I was an assistant principal at a charter school in Oakland. Um, and the reason why I was excited about the next step was, was that I got pitted in doing discipline as an assistant principal, mm-hmm. right? And so my whole day was essentially playing cop, right? I was suspending kids unfortunately, following rules that I didn't want to follow. And I wasn't able to build those authentic relationships with students that I knew uh, I needed to have in order for them to to see. So I I felt like I was being complicit. You know, we talk about the system and institutions. Well, the institutions are made up of individuals. And I was one of those individuals being complicit uh, in that situation. And so I wanted to make a change, something I could control and something I could build out knowing that it would be uh, beneficial for our students. That's, yeah, that's what's up. That's, can, can you just share a little bit more uh, with the audience about Umoja, like how you thought about it and what, like, I'm, you know, Sharif is coming in to be a part of Umoja. What will I receive uh, during that during that time? Yeah, we made a hard pivot. My, my first year with, with BUSD, the work that we were doing was, like I said, outside of classroom case management. Right. And so if a student was struggling, you need a case manager. You need somebody to be with you all day. Right. You need somebody to sit in class with you. Uh, and so what I began to do is, you know, I was alone at this time, a staff of one, um, no one to bounce ideas off of. I began to read. I began to study. And I say, what what might if I could sit before my elders who 
have come before me or my ancestors who have come before me, what might they tell me to do? And so I began to read Wade Nobles, right? Naeem Akbar, right? Asa Hillard. All these nice scholars stuff. that we, right? All these scholars that we look up to, Dr. Carr, right? And it began to inform my thinking to kind of say, you got to start with your blackness. You can't start with the Western European construct and then map that on the black kids and think that that's going to work. You got to start with your blackness. And so first of all, if you join the Moja, it's going to be a space where unapologetically it's going to be a black space. It's going to be rooted in African space. It's going to be a black space. And what that means is, is that it's a communal space. What that means is, is that you're not going to get one instructor. You're going to get Mr. Kamar supporting you. You're going to get our, our family events that we have to be able to educate our families as well. You're going to get your history and culture, not just from dates and facts. You're going to get the real meaning and root behind the principles of the things that we're supposed to be learning. And so for you as a student, hopefully it'll be a transformational process where you come there and you experience school like you've never experienced it before. Well, bro, you better love that now because uh, if Caitlyn uh, Jenner is elected governor, <laughs> take that shit away from you. <laughs> and we, we in the streets then. I, I'll do it in school or outside of school. We, we'll take it independent, but I hear you, brother. <laughs> yeah, keep kicking the truth to the young black youth. I feel you. And for those who don't know, Umoja, what, like, what does that mean? And how did you come up with that? Uh, why'd you choose that uh, title? Yeah, unlike, unlike uh, Oakland, Berkeley has very few uh, black students. I think the student population is, is underneath 10 percent, about 1,300 students out of about 13,000. Mm. Um, and so coming from Oakland, you're dealing with students of color all the time. But coming to, to Berkeley, it was students are isolated. Right. So how do we make sure that I send a signal, not only that this is a group dynamic, that we go as far as I go. Right. And you go as far as I go as well. Right. So. And Butu might be another way of saying that, right? Um, but however, I wanted to signal, signal, signal to the community that the way that we win is that we got to come together because we are too few within Berkeley Unified School District to make any type of movement by ourselves, right? We do know that institutions uh, are built by individuals, but no single individual can be the institution. And so emotion means unity. So in order to help black kids thrive and be successful in Berkeley Unified School District, the black community is going to have to come together. Mm. All right, I got some data questions for you, sir. Because uh, you, you you pointed out that uh, this is uh, 1,300 1, out of 13,000, so right at 10%. So out of those 10% of students, uh, first of all, like, so what's the what's the poverty rate uh, out of those 10%? And then um, what's the level of proficiency for those, uh, for those 1,300 kids? Yeah, so I don't have uh, access to the social... Um, economically disadvantaged numbers. Uh, and to be to be honest, Emoja is only at one school site. So I can talk about a bigger district-wide movement yeah. and situation, but I'm not at the table for those things, right? This is one class at a middle school. I can tell you that um, it's under 15% for math on, on the, the standardized test that they take in uh, California. So the, the black students at the school where Emoja is is under 15%, and it's mm -hmm. under 30% for proficiency in reading uh, at the school site that the program is at. And so you know, I wasn't there at this particular point in time. I haven't fact checked this, but uh, at one point, I think that uh, Berkeley Unified might have been the worst in the state in terms of outcome disparities between, uh, you know, white students and black students. And so it's a long legacy in history, but I don't have the exact numbers for you. That's the point that I'm making, though. Thank you for making that point. That's just, mm. Yeah. We always get where wherever we are. It don't matter where we are, bro. It doesn't matter. Uh you know, who we're adjacent to. First off, uh, black kids don't need to be adjacent to anybody in order to be brilliant. You know, something that Charles says, I paraphrase a lot. Um, and then secondly, man, we just get the chef wherever we at, man. God damn. <laughs> yeah, I, I can tell you where we are leading for black students, though. We're, we're leading in the over-identification for special ed, mm -hmm. right, for, for black males in particular. So, you know, um, we're, we're leading in all the wrong indicators. 
right in and not leading in the ones that, that we should be leading in. Hmm. That's what's up. And Chris, I don't know if you want to add anything before I move the song, brother. I know you're not feeling too hot, so I ain't gonna. No, know. I just, you know, I did have a question about how you're working with caregivers. So, like, what's your philosophy on helping the caregivers be the best that they can be to support the education of children? How. My specific question, honestly, is around how you improve the school to home connection. Uh, and it seems like that's broken in so many places. And it's definitely broken in the places where you just the numbers you just mentioned, when those get worse, for sure, I could bet you right away that the homeschool connection is broken. So through your work, have you worked like glue in between the caregivers and the, and the schools? Have you seen anything that gives you hope and promise that it could be better? Yeah, absolutely. And I think in, in Berkeley, it's unique. It's, it's actually quite the contrary. Uh, families are ready. They're willing to step up to the table. We just have to give them the platform to be able to plug in. Uh, one of the one of the silver linings that came out of this whole COVID pandemic is that parents don't have to show up to the school to be accessed. Right. And so as, as we are here right now, if we're not leveraging this type of technology to, to sit in literally in someone's living room and to be able to have conversations, uh, then, that, then that's a problem because that has long been used as an excuse that mm-hmm. black community doesn't uh, care about education because they don't show up to the PTA meeting. What if I'm working, right? Or what if the PTA is not the space I want to engage in, but if you're having a conversation that's specifically about my child as African-American students, maybe I'll show up. So we leverage technology. And so we've been doing uh, monthly community meetings is what I call them um, digitally. Right. We can't do them, of course, uh, via COVID. And we hope to do it in person once we come back. And it's about service. I think oftentimes we expect the parents to do something for us. So if I'm a, I'm a principal or I'm a, I'm a leader, I have something that I want from the families. It's quite the opposite with me. It is how can I serve you? What do you need from me in order to best service your student? And then also um, there is a, a disconnect between we take it for granted sometimes of being employed and working in these institutions. I probably spend 40, 60 hours a week around education. The average person is not doing that. So I have insider knowledge, Mm -hmm. right? Just like insider trading, right? How can I give you a tip, give you a stock tip that's going to help your child and be able to expose the things that I've been able to learn uh, being behind the scenes. And so service, giving them uh, something that is of value to them, leveraging technology, and then also being that inside man. I I dare to say spook by the door, but we're not going to go too far with that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I will say to follow this up too, when I say that the homeschool connection is broken, I don't think it's broken on the home side. I think it's broken on the school side. And it has been. And and, uh, three of us on this this podcast having social work backgrounds Mm -hmm. will will tell you that uh, there's when you work with the families directly, there's a ton of stuff that the schools don't see, even as they're pretending to be the experts. Like I have teachers tell me, you don't see what I see in a classroom. Mm-hmm. And I, my response is, you don't see what we used to see at home. Your, your stereotype of the people that you're talking about mm-hmm. is wrong. It's wrong. It's been wrong. Mm-hmm. And if it if it is broken, that's my long winded way of saying it's probably more broken on the side of the <laughs> professionals who have college educations <laughs> and money than it is on the side of the, the families. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, when you look at anybody and you and you. Uh, you look at them through the through the lens of of deficit thinking, then you're always gonna you know have you're always gonna have those views of them, right? So like if you if I look at you and you ain't and I'm viewing you as you ain't shit, then I mean that's gonna transcend with like how I treat your kid mm-hmm. every day, you know, and how mm-hmm. I show up every day, you know, like so if, I, if I'm if I'm coming and I know that I'm not really gonna be held accountable for like how I show up, then I'm not gonna prepare the way that I need to prepare, 
I'm not going to challenge your kid the way that I need to challenge your kid. I'm not going to ask those follow-up questions that I would ask if I was in a suburban district when them white folks would be on my ass, with people that look like me are on my ass to make sure that my kids are getting what they need to get, right? It's different, man. Like we And we got to talk about this more, man. We got to open up this can. I like what Kamar said, though, even about, like, listen, mother, uh, uh, what is it, the necessity? Necessity is the mother of invention, mm-hmm. right? Now, all of a sudden, people have discovered how to use Zoom, and there's a lot of things we don't have to be at school to do. But prior to COVID, mm-hmm. there were schools that still say, you're suspended and you can't come back unless you come back with the parent. Yep. Like, unless you come back in person with the physical parent in person, you can't come back to school. Now, all of a sudden, because the whole world changed, we figured out that you could do anything digitally even. Well, Zoom existed before COVID. This one very simple, stupid, basic tool existed before then. Uh, How many other things are schools not getting done because they're not inventive enough? That's a good question. I know Skype sitting at home like y'all just forgot all about it. Like we've been here. Listen, whoever fumbled that Skype bag definitely, definitely (laughs) got fired because they was definitely first. Um, uh, Kamar, I'm going to transition us in. But before I do that, you also have another uh, private endeavor that you've been starting. I didn't know if you wanted to speak on that, uh, because I think some of the questions that the brothers asked, I think that your new endeavor might even address a little bit. And if y'all enjoying this conversation, we need you to share it. We need you to like it and we need you to comment. We depend on you all to get this message out. So, Kamar, the floor is yours on that one, brother. Yeah, you know, um, in the beginning, Charles Preface, he made a comment. He said, Kamar didn't say that because I don't have a job for the brother. Uh, and so when, when you're really doing the work, when you're really doing the work, you know, it can get dangerous, right? When you're really doing the work, it's not always a comfortable space to be in. And so uh, with a business partner of mine, a good, good friend of mine, administrator, longtime administrator, um, we, we started a consultancy, uh, Black Prism Group. And what that really is, is essentially saying, how do you take a the prism and change the way that we think about education. How do we take all these things that I want to do inside the institution, but perhaps we'll get pushback and do that in the streets, right? Charles said, Kamara Gwen's from, from Oakland unapologetically. Well, I like to say I'm from the town and those are two different places, right? So mm-hmm. how do we take what we need to do in terms of outside of the school context, which I don't control, into something that I do control and take it to the streets and make sure that the products that we're putting forward are gonna be beneficial both to our students, our families and our community. And so, um, you know, it's new in development. I can't say much more than that, but I do appreciate Charles uh, for allowing me to have the opportunity to get at a shout out. Well, I didn't even wanna just have just a shout out. I think that if people are listening, and that's something that they're interested in. You should invest. Uh, and, and one of the things that we did is we want to make sure we invest to help get that word out there. So you're not at the whim of the system. So keep doing that good work, man, and being unapologetic. But you mentioned something about the work. And just for disclosure, Kamar and I are in this book club, this black men's book club. It's like a devotional. It's like a black devotional men's space. Right. That I was supposed to be. Invited to <laughs> brother, never... brother, listen, it's, we got politics to that, brother. You're not from Kamar, the, Kamar you're not from the about town, the last bro. time we invited somebody from the outside, but. We'll talk about it, but the outside. But, yeah. Wow. The outside. Stop it. Stop it. Stop like, it. I barely damn. got in, brother. Outside I barely got in to be transparent. I barely got in. Stop. Damn. So, so, this sounds like Kevin's gate. This sounds you know like Kevin's gate. You know what I mean? It's we, like, we, wow. we, listen, we can start another one. You talk one about too. trying to get in and lock. You can't even get in a book club, bro. <laughs> <laughs> that, wow. That, y'all got like personal shirts and Nikes. What y'all got, man? Damn. Nah, man. Listen, it's but it really is just a super unapologetic space. Um, And I'll even bring something to the score later. I'll talk to the fellas. Uninviting. <laughs> 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 That's right. Unwelcoming. Shout out to Ed Locke. 
That's right. I'm gonna hold all this ground. Uh, but yeah, man. But but no, in that ahead, space, man. you know, we read folks like Naeem Akbar, and we're going through this Wade Nobles book right now. This is just kind of blowing all of our minds. But one of those things is about knowledge itself. Like it's really hard to educate, especially black boys, when they don't know who they are. And Kamar, you you participated in something called the Year of Return. Um, you want to tell us just a little bit about that, because my vision and hope is that the Eight Black Hands, that book club and some black boys can actually partake in this. And I would love to see if the fellas would be interested in this. So what was that? And, and did that impact you at all? Well, it did. One of the things that um... and, and what is it? I don't think a lot of people know what that is. Yeah. So so one of the things um, that I, I borrowed um, from Wade Nobles is that, um, you know, trying to create um, the conditions for a child to be competent, confident and conscious. Right. And so um, as I begin to think about that for our children, uh, that that became true for me uh, when I went to this uh, the year to return uh, back to Ghana. And so it was um, a pull for, you know, uh, Ghanaian leadership to have people from the diaspora to come back home. Right. And so uh, people from all across the world went and gathered. I went in late December 2019 uh, and I went with uh, a fraternity brother and some of uh, my fraternity brothers and uh, one brother in particular who is at a point where uh, he's actually building a house in Ghana so he can he can relocate. And I thought that that was intriguing and interesting. And so uh, on a whim, I took the trip um, and you don't know how these things are going to impact you. You just got to put your, your, your first foot forward and, and go ahead. And so I, I got on that plane trip. And uh, when I got there, man, it wasn't a sense of necessarily being at home. I can't I can't say that my people necessarily came from Ghana. Right. But I do know that home is around there somewhere. Uh, and so because of that, the, the, the vibe and the love and a sense of community that was there can, cannot be uh, described quite in words. Um, I, I will say that uh, at, at a certain point we took, and everybody tells this story uh, when, when they go to Ghana, at a certain point uh, we, we went to uh, what they call as the, uh, the slave castles. Now I don't, I don't know a more appropriate term, but I'm definitely not calling a, a castle, right? And so when, when you get there, you know, we had a, a tour guide and uh, you see, see a number of things. You see how um, at the top of where, where they held people uh, was a church that was built on top, right? Mm -hmm. So they, they prayed over people who were trapped in these small spaces, right? And you see uh, a, a man's quarters and you see a woman's quarters. And if you go into women's quarters, you will see a door. Uh, and you say, well, why, why are there two doors to the women's quarter? Well, well, that was because, right, the Europeans wanted to have access to the women. So they had unfettered access to the women in those, in those spaces. And then you, you, you walk around a little bit and, and you see that, that, that door of no return. And you imagine what it must feel like to be there and not knowing what's next. Um, and, and, and the horror and the trauma that was experienced through that, that situation. The tour guide told us this, and this is the first time I heard this, is that there were so many uh, bodies who were either dropped off of the slave ships, right? Or jumped off of the slave ships, that sharks begin to follow boats that it changed the natural feeding pattern in the systems of sharks because there were so many bodies uh, in the water to feast and, and feed upon. And so I bring that up to say that, you know, hearing those things, I thought I was prepared for it. Um, and the group that I was with, you know, you have people who are reacting in different, in different ways. Uh, but I, I can tell you this, at, at the strangest time, and I don't know if, if any of you can relate to this, is that uh, we had a New Year's gathering. I was there uh, from, from Christmas to, to past New Year's. And, uh, you know, we're doing a countdown, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, and at one, I begin to start, I start bawling and I couldn't understand why. Right. And it's, it's taken me a long time to, to be able to process that. But, but there was a sense of guilt. Right. But there was also a sense of where I come from to be able to 
uh, have the privilege and the ability to go back to this place uh, was amazing. And it, it'll always stick with me. And it, it gave me the, the battery pack that I needed in my back to come back um, to, to Berkeley Unified and do this work that we're doing. Um, and so I'll stop there for, for questions, um, et cetera. But it was an amazing trip. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't ch- trade it for the world. Yeah, we've been talking about eight black cans doing a show from yeah. somewhere in West Africa, you know, and, um, you know, Ghana is a good place as, uh, you know, as any, but it should be like the decade of, of of return or something like that. That year, everybody couldn't pull it together that one year, you know what I mean? But Bro, I don't want to yeah. do a show from Ghana. I want to do a show from Cape Verde. Google it. I want to do one from from Mali. <laughs> Tim Buck Buck two. That's right. I want to do one from Tim Buck two mm-hmm. or the Seychelles. Take me there. We can do mm-hmm. one for there any day. Um, listen, this is the thing I think about Ghana and your Ghana trip. You just mentioned like the history, the the trauma, the replaying it in the mind, the understanding, the being on the ground, being there and seeing it or whatnot. Uh, I think it's so distant from so many of us. And the closer we get to being Negropeans, the more we get to like being like in the mainstream of things and, and our reeducation is complete within the so-called education system, the less, the, the more distant that memory becomes or the sense of our connectedness to it. I am so sick right now of what feels like a national uh, attempt to make sure that that is lost forever. And that we don't even think about it or judge it because it's living within the skin of our young people. It's living within when we see things that they're going through the days uh, um, and we disconnect it from that past. Um, We're doing them harm. We're doing wrong by them. And we're making it just seem like there must be something deficient with them. Mm-hmm. It's not a history of redlining and slavery and gross uh, systemic racism and housing discrimination, the GI Bill, the way that welfare was done, the way mass incarceration. Keep going down the line. It's not mm-hmm. any of that. Mm-hmm. It's just that there's something genetically wrong with them. Mm-hmm. Right. There's something we don't know why they can't read above a certain level. We don't know why they can't sit down in class. We haven't tested the water. We don't know why they got so much goddamn lead in their system. Mm-hmm. In like in 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 hundreds of communities across the country, we just don't know. It's an accident. It's weird. We just don't know why. So I love you going to Ghana, going to a source. I would love to see students make that trek mm-hmm. uh, and be have it like right in their face, mm-hmm. the reality of it, and come back different people. But that's why I was going to ask you, brothers. Like, what do you think would be the impact? I mean, not just on the eight black hands going right, but like if we took some young brothers there, like what? I mean, I just feel like if you see something like that, you can't help but be transformed in some kind of way. I, I just, I just feel like how different would things be? For me, if I got to if I if I get to go do that as an adult and if I got to do that as a kid, but I don't know. I just yeah, want we to gotta start this. asking. We gotta start asking rich black people for money mm-hmm. to do good things for yeah. kids. Because like listen, I I um I just wrote this thing a couple of days ago about rich black people and how much they could be giving and doing for us. Uh Man. Dave Chappelle, Dave Chappelle is setting up shop over in Africa right now. Most definitely ever others have. Give us like a, a two, three year grant to take you know, 150 young people from several communities back and then give us more than that the next year and the year after and the year mm-hmm. after. But uh, uh, you walked away from $50 million, bruh, and you came back and probably got $150 million. Uh, cut us, Cut us a check. <laughs> you going over to Africa, you building condos in Africa. I want the Acon deal. Let's put some kids on the Acon Express. I mean, he did that with Yellow Springs too. Like he's turned that into like a, 
a different, fully different environment. And you know, you it's funny, him, most deaf and Talib just started that uh that show from there talking about some of this stuff. But I don't know. I mean, Ray I and mean, Reed. No, right. I mean, you're right. Shout out to uh my man Ani and, and Dr. Will Hayes. Like that was one of the things that they would do yearly, mm-hmm. take uh black students to uh, you know, to Ghana. Uh other folks are taking them to Senegal, you know, just taking them and and you know, I, I just think like traveling just opens, you know, opens perspectives. You know, I, I was blessed to be able to grow up overseas and, and visit the continent a couple different places and times. And I think it's just it is a lesson and it reinforces that whole idea that we've spoken about a lot is like learning and education does not have to be within the four walls mm-hmm. uh, that the government provides. Like it's, it's probably more so um, on the outside of that in so many cases. Uh, but again, it's, it's this access opportunity, but making sure that this is part of the plan. <laughs> like this is, should be part of the plan uh, of how we educate our youth of making sure that they are seeing something different and making sure that they are tapping into their roots. That becomes the well that they can draw from. Um, yeah, listen, I went to an international education conference, was invited there, uh, one of my cousins to, to go there. And I mean, it was amazing to be in Senegal and Dakar and, and, uh, be able to visit schools and, and education. And we look at our schools and like, oh, like it needs more X, Y, Z. I mean, they were like just a room and they were Mm -hmm. out and, and outperforming folks, you know? Outperforming folks. See, when you go over there, you learn how to pronounce stuff the right way. <laughs> See, I, I still say the car, like the cologne, <laughs> like the cologne that some brothers still still the wear. A, the cologne has an R, bro. Yeah. <laughs> why? Why you gotta <laughs> every show? Every show, right? But anyway, anyway, <laughs> you are you are the version of like raisins and potato salad, bro. You, you, <laughs> you are the living embodiment of that. Never call me the version of raisins and potato salad. When you have a weekly phone call with Ian. You cannot do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh. See, Messi, our uh, guests don't know what what that is. So keep going. Roll on. All right, so. I think I think a lot of what we're missing, man, is just that connection with with the elders, bro. Like, so for example, today one of my first calls was to my aunt sweetheart down south, man. And like, every time I talk to her, I just learn more about my family, right? Which means that I probably should be talking to her more. African Americans, we learn a lot from oral history, right? And I think that there's a disconnect between the young folks. And, and the older folks and you know when you were talking before about just that that lost processy of of information i feel like a lot of information is going to be lost because nobody's reaching out to anybody anymore nobody's reaching out to the elders right and so you know instead of um you know we we need to come up with a plan to kind of uh, bridge that gap. And I, and I know it starts with me and it starts with my family, but you know, if everybody took that approach, man, these, these older people, older folks have so much wisdom in order to, to give to us. We just want, got to be able to receive it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I agree with you, man. And, and I think, you know, when we, when just hearing that though, and hearing about those stories, man, like understanding and learning knowledge of self, look, man, this Naeem Akbar is 60, like it's like less than 70 pages. Like, you can read it in a weekend. I mean, it's going to take you a long time to go through it with a highlighter because it's it's 
it's dense and how it's written. But, you know, that whole talking about knowing yourself, man, I just I just was wondering for you, Kamar, and I know you kind of talked about it, but I wanted to bookmark this topic on this part. What do you feel like anything changed about you? I know you said you came back ready to do this work in Berkeley, but did you did, did anything else change in you? Was there another uh, another uh, switch flipped uh, or, or whatnot when you came back and, and just you know, another appeal just to, to our people and whether it's Ghana or somewhere else in the motherland, like, you know, I just want to hear that as we close out on this part. Yeah. Again, that, the, the whole confidence piece is, is huge, right? Because uh, I think one uh, being American, we, we buy into a lot of uh, our, our nationality, right. And, and, and don't really buy into the fact that uh, we have uh, this connection and we have to remember, right? Literally remember and join and connect back to, to Africa. And so, so going there and seeing uh, in some parts what, what people have way less than, than what I have here, right? And being able to do so much more than I was doing, I had to check myself and look in the mirror and say, bro, you're being lazy, right? Mm-hmm. Bro, if they were able to go through that, it's nothing that you should, shouldn't be able to do. And so just like the kids in terms of having confidence, going there, and that's why I said when I came back, it's like, I, I need to do this work with emotion. I need to do it and take it to another level, right? I was, was kind of coasting, right? We were doing the work, but I wasn't putting in the work like I knew I needed to, right? And I felt like coming back, I owed that. I owed that because whoever was there, whoever came through that door, no return, and my legacy, they did that. They rode that ship and they went through what they had to go through. And it was no excuses that I had when I came home. So first of all, my confidence was elevated. Mm-hmm. My consciousness was, was elevated as well, right? Just like we want students to uh, raise their consciousness. Well, how are you going to do it? As y'all said, if you never saw it, right? I could read all the books I, I want in the world about ancient dynasties and all these other things, but to go there and to see it myself, right? And to learn about the pre-context, the pre-colonial context, right? And to learn about those things, it allows me to know and to understand uh, above and beyond what I was able to grasp in terms of the greatness that we that we come from. And so for me, uh, those were the two things, man. It, it elevated my confidence and I was more conscious coming back, uh, not only uh, around history, but again, my, my responsibility to, to our people, right? And so um, at, I'm at the point now where I'm, I'm starting to be, right, an early elder, right? I, I ain't there yet, right? But I'm, I'm at a point now where, um, it's, it's your turn, right? It's your turn to, to take the, to take the baton and begin to, to run with it. And so I still need to sit at the foot of some elders, but I came back knowing that I had a social responsibility, no matter what, whether or not it's in education or somewhere else, I have a social responsibility to make good and make do for my people. Fam. Baba Kamar, Baba Kamar. That's what you sounded like. <laughs> Go ahead, Ray. Go ahead, Ray. Bro, uh, so Kamar, I know you didn't mean mean it in any kind of way or whatever, but you said a word, and, and that word for me... This Do the work, Kamar. Do has, it. ...has been a trigger, right? You said, okay. You said the word lazy, right? And so, like, I I, I, I want to take that word and, and kind of totally disassociate it with, with, with Black folks, and here's why. I think the term lazy is a white supremacy construct um, put on us during slavery. So you got people working from, like, morning to morning, to night, and even through the night, for nothing, no wage, right? And so, you know, that's how, that was put on us. I, I don't, I don't think that black people are lazy. I think that that's a stereotype. And uh, and, and feel free to correct me, but um, man, I think we work harder than anybody else, especially in terms of like what this system does to us. Mm. what we need to do in order to come out of this system successful. Well, 
look, I know when I'm being lazy in my life. I get what you're yeah. saying, Ray, and I respect what you're saying, right? When other people are might be attributing it to folks. But what I heard that brother say is that I wasn't living up to my potential. I wasn't, when I had the energy, I wasn't doing what I needed to do. So if we need to make a new word for it or whatever, I'm down for that. But I, what I saw, like, you know, what's funny is that we get accused of bashing or doing or whatever. But if people responded just how he responded, like, you know what, man, I wasn't giving it my all. Yeah, and yeah. there's some things that I learned. And this is how, this is what I expect from myself. And I want to do it. Now I'm down with getting another term, but you know, and, and maybe if he had said people, but he was talking about, Yo, yeah, yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. I, I, like, just, I know when I'm laying on the couch and I can be doing something else, but yeah. Chris, I really want to hear what Chris is gonna say because he made a sound. And <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean, feel like I he should have a whole screen for whatever this is. <laughs> no, 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 it's not like that. He, it's not you, like that. He, you threw him the alley oop, right? Go ahead. Sometimes the rules apply, but go ahead. What you got? <laughs> what you got? What you got? Uh, no, I agree with both of y'all. Like, I agree that like the hardest working black people have been stereotyped as being lazy and not giving it their all for, for all time, whatever. So I agree with you on that. Yes, that's a racist stereotype. And I like where brother Kamara is coming from when he talks about by his own standards of what he should be doing. He had a conversation with the ancestors and that the result of that conversation with the ancestors is like your ancestors talking to you, telling you all of that you could be doing. I wish more college educated Negro peans who run the country for black world. I wish all of the talented 10th class who are on the, the, the speaking circuit in hotels and, and, and doing all these great conversations about integration and about poverty and about just like, you know, uh, the, the, the words of the day, intersectional, Whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever they, you know, whatever y'all like want to make up next week to be talking about so that you don't have to talk about the real shit. Um, um, I just wish they would all have a Kamar moment where they're like, where they go back and talk to their ancestors and they're like, well, damn. So y'all was jumping off boats because you knew where you were going and you weren't going to have it. That's how bad you wanted freedom. Right. When I hear him talk about they changed the, the shark patterns following boats and all that. Wow. Y'all was that deep. huh? Some of y'all just wouldn't, wouldn't even go. And when you got here, you started riots and you fought and you were raped, killed, murdered, maimed, trying to get freedom, had your feet cut off, had arms and limbs cut off for trying to escape. And then you tried to do it again. You kept suing, kept going to court. Man, you did all that. Right. But I want to talk about some inter intersectional shit with the, the degree that I didn't got. Um, um, mm -hmm. um, knock it off. He knock it off. Violence. I chose, I'm, I am choosing violence because, listen, you know what? If you're a young cat that's about to die in the streets because the, the structure of the world is all wrong and the smartest people in your race are sitting around talking dumb shit and writing books about dumb shit, um, shame on you. Shame on you. Your, your ancestors didn't bring you this far for you to become a Negro peon and join the other team with all that jargonistic bullshit. Y'all got 24 hours to respond. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, with that, man, I'm going to go into a place that I think Chris is actually going to like. And, and, and just what, off of what you were saying, Kamar, man, I thought it was dope. And it does... Like, we don't have to wait on people. There's things we can do on ourselves. When we was going through Way's book, right, Dr. Noble's book, there was a part in one of the sketches, and it was just like, yeah, so at the first annual Melanin Conference in 1987, we was like, wait, hold on, wait, <laughs> wait, 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 these cats put together what's called a Melanin Conference and said, you know what? And before that, this psychology stuff is not African-rooted. It does not talk to us. And him and his friends 
these scholars, right, who are not Negro pens, just were like, we're going to define black psychology. Like Naeem Akbar, Dr. Wade Nobles, like these people just did it. Like they just did it. It wasn't about money. It wasn't about that stuff. Um, and, 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 and Ray, one part where I think you and Kamar have, have, have a lot of love for each other. And I felt bad for Kamar yesterday because, or it was when they were talking about the Greeks, when there was a Dr. Nobles had a critique for the Greeks. And how that actually started in Egypt. Um, I don't know if y'all are the same frat or whatever, but uh, Kam- we're not. Kamar held his Kamar held his own, and you would have been proud. Uh, oh, Lord. Kamar, Kamar we should roll the tape. Y'all got the tape. You should roll the tape. I'm the judge of that. Look, when we got to that part, Kamar just put his head down because we all he was just like, I know I'm the only one that you know is Greek, but. <laughs> but here's what I want. To, I want to transition into this because Kamar, when I went to school with him, him and our other homie Ansel, who was watching right now, too, they built this black space called a shoop. And it was a few other people. It was just a black space where like young black college men and black women, they would just put we would put topics in a hat. But they just created this very black space on this like PWI campus that everybody would like flock to. I've been begging them cast to do it for us as adults. And this dude graduated cum sum laude. And then ended up going to law school. So, brother, let's just pick up from there about your experience. Um, and then y'all will definitely have some fodder after this. Um, what, what was that experience like? What did they try to get you to do? Um, and, and you go as much into it as you want or as not as you want to. I don't want to put that on you. I got you, brother. So, um, yeah, Cal State uh, Hayward at the time. Uh, we we got to back up a little bit before the law school story and talk about Cal State Hayward. Um, because when, when I got there, uh, first, I didn't, I didn't know if I was going to go to college. I thought I was actually going to go into the military, but it was a teacher who talked me out of it. thought I was going to go to the Air Force, uh, but that's a, a, a long story. Uh, however, when I, when I got to Cal State Hayward, um, I had no clue about what was going on. Uh, and, you know, you take uh, at that particular point in time, I'm not sure that they're doing it again, but you take these uh, uh, assessments when you come in to, to see where you stand if you're ready for college level math. I was remedial everything. Yeah, so so you know where I'm going with it. So, uh, you know, I had the special classes, right? And so, and not only were they quote unquote special classes, but you didn't get any college credit for those classes. So I would spend college money taking out college tuition, but you don't get any credits that earn and go towards your graduation. And so I started off in remedial, um, but I worked. I worked, I worked, I worked, and I worked. And so just going back to the when I talk about being lazy, I know what level of work it takes to be able to, to do something, right? And I began to, to, to work and I put off all social activities, right? I was, I was in, in that work and I ended up, uh, you know, as you begin to work and you begin to grow and you come out of those remedial classes and you get to regular classes, you say to yourself, can I do this, right? And those first A's start coming in and you say, well, maybe I, I could do this. Then I begin to look through the catalog and say, uh, what do I want to do for a major? Nothing spoke to me. So I said, you know what? Is it possible to make your own up? So you can make up your own special major. So I made up a special major, democracy, arts, and cultural studies. And so I said, I'm going to make this institution work for me, right? I'm paying my money. Y'all going to teach me what I want to teach, get taught. And I'm going to put this curriculum together. So I got together with some faculty. We put that together. So I had a special major, right? Went on to be student body president. And I say this not to boast, right? I went on to be student, student body president. And that was instrumental in, in me going to law school. And again, as Charles said, going from remedial classes to graduating the top 1%, 3.96 GPA, summa cum laude. Right. A, a young man from West Oakland who had no clue in context about what was going on uh, before I got to, to college. And so as student body president, you get to rub elbows with um, the faculty or president, provost, vice president. Uh, but you also get to rub elbows with the other student body presidents from the CSU system. 
Uh, and so I began to, um, you know, do some work across the state and I ended up meeting a guy named Jeffrey Bleich. Um, and Jeffrey Bleich ended up being um, the uh, president of the California Law Association, San Francisco uh, Bar Association, uh, and probably more instrumental, he ended up being um, the uh, ambassador of Australia underneath the Obama administration, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I met him, he said, you know what, brother, there's something about you. You should consider going to law school, right? And so he spoke that into me. He said, you should consider going to law school. And, and when you want to do that, give me a call. So true to his word, I gave him a call, right? And we began to, to think about what this might look like. Because of that strong GPA, um, you know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't have to pay for all of schooling, right? So I did get a scholarship, a couple of scholarships going into, I didn't do well on the LSAT, standardized test, right? So for four years, I did okay. I couldn't, couldn't do well on the LSAT. So I only had a couple of options going to law school, UC Hastings, right? UCSF and Howard, right? I turned down Howard. Maybe we can unpack that um, on the other end of this. I turned down uh, UCSF and I went to Hastings. And so I get to Hastings and it was the first time uh, where for me, I wasn't only just learning law, I was learning how to behave and act in uh, white culture. I was, un I, was, I was being taught how you're supposed to act when you show up in a place where perhaps you're not, not supposed to be there. Um, and so I didn't do well um, the, the first semester. And that is when it all kind of start coming apart is that um, then you have to say, well, if you did well in undergrad and not doing well in law school, now, now comes the part that uh, we've been talking about here on this show. Maybe it's something wrong with you. So how about we reduce your coursework? Okay, that's fine. I take less classes. It's not really working. And then here's another one. How about you meet with the, the psychologist that we ha have here at the school and get an assessment? Man, whatever it takes, I want this really bad. So I'll go meet with this person. He writes a, pres a prescription and he says, take these. And so um, afterwards and reflecting, uh, I said they had me um, on, on two do doses of Concerta something I never heard of, right? So they wanted to give me something to focus. And so they had me taking pills, like something was wrong with me, right? In order to stimulate my mind and, and be focused and, and be able to give me an edge in the classroom, right? And so uh, I began to, to, to take this medicine, end up in a, in a, in a hospital because of that, right? Uh, but all around at the same time, you would hear these murmurs. I'm reaching out to people for help and they say, well, what is it about you? I've never met a student like you, well, what does that mean? You never met a student like me. I never met a student like you that I couldn't help. Uh, and so um, the institution was undefeated. They, they weren't gonna change anything about the institution to, to better suit Kamaro Gwynn and his, his learning experience. Um, and so I eventually ended up getting academically disqualified. Uh, and they said, you can petition the disqualification, but we need you to go get tested for a learning disability. And I said, well, man, how, how can that be, right? I just came from, an institution up the road where I graduated in the top 1%, but I said, you know what, if that's what they want me to do, right? I, I need this degree, I'm gonna go ahead, right, and do it. And so, you know, come back, you're dyslexic, you have all these things going on, right? And I go back to the university for the petition and it wasn't, it wasn't honored. And so, um, you know, I left law school uh, with a lot of debt and this was right around the time during the recession. And so I, I left with no job and a lot of debt, searching and stumbling and trying to figure out what I was gonna do next. Bro, that's powerful, man. We gotta we gotta take a couple couple minutes to unpack that, bro. That's some powerful shit right there. I mean, I mean, even even in like, I mean, we we as a social worker, I saw them give a lot of black kids drugs or whatnot. And I think that 
you know, to hear that story that is happening at the level of like law school and we didn't even get into like, you know, the when there were black people asked for their opinion about what should happen to Kamar, you know, that that Negro peeing term that Chris has been throwing around. I think I, I, I think Kamar may have wished he had that in his in his dialogue at that time. You know what I mean? But uh, what's your reaction just to that story about somebody who's obviously bright, obviously cares about our kids um, and just the way that institutions, you know, treat our black people that and, and, and some of our, you know. Really, really dope black people. Well, bro, I mean, what I'll say to it is this, right? Uh, this is not anything new. I mean, and, and and you know, it was it happened to Kamar a couple of years back, but I mean, rec- as recent as maybe like six months ago, mm-hmm. you got somebody on a hot mic at Georgetown, a, a professor on a hot mic at Georgetown talking about Georgetown law students, the black ones, right? And she identified them as being the black ones, uh, and and speaking that deficit talk in terms in terms of them. And so, you know, this is nothing new in terms of like how how they approach us. And, and bro, I just I, I wish, right, that you would have went to Howard. Yeah, let's we can we can unpack that. Let's take a couple more comments and then let's unpack that. I wish too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think your story is really important, um, particularly when we're showing students like there are folks who've gone through this and how to navigate it. Hey, you know, and maybe it is like you know, uh, this is, was my experience and here's what I would have done differently. I'm looking forward to hearing like how you, you know, how you respond to, uh, you know, to raise peace so that, you know, that they're able to arm themselves with even more understanding and knowledge. And I think that's exactly what you've been doing with Umoja is centering, uh, this, the student experience and listen, this is how you navigate, navigate this space, but you're doing it in your own space, right? So it's teaching them a couple different things. One, uh, we can do for self, self-determination, right? Those three C's that you mentioned, um, and then being able to share our stories. And I think a lot of times, you know, and I applaud you for that because I know a lot of uh, babas, or so to speak, uh, they don't share like, you know, their, their challenging times all the time, right? Like, and sometimes they're like, well, and, uh, and I've heard a couple different reasons. One, they may have gone through a lot and they feel like, you know what? I was so blessed. I don't want another child to think, oh, if you go through there, you're going to get that same blessing because we know a lot of folks don't. Right. And so they don't want to um, have students be overconfident like, oh, he went through that. So I can definitely dive into that, mess around with it and then get out. And then others, they just want to uplift and they just want to be like, hey, you know what? They may not uh, respect where I am now if they know that, you know. I'm human, so to speak. Like, no, that's exactly what you should be uh, sharing with them, um, that we are all human. And these are the things that we've had to go to. And then this is what, as you said, these institutions, this is how they're trying to crush and grind aspirations to dust. And how you just described that is exactly, uh, you know, emblematic of that. Mm -hmm. Respect. And yet still you rise, Mm -hmm. right? Like they, you know, 400 years, they throw shit at you. They throw everything at you. They throw every stereotype. You can't have any deficiencies. When little Johnny has dyslexia, the whole world needs to like unite to make sure that little Johnny has all the assistive technology and everything in the world to help little Johnny overcome it. But everything 
that makes that that isn't perfect about black people becomes a reason for believing a precondition precondition of in you know uh, inferiority or whatnot and it's so deeply baked in and embedded in the people who are supposed to be educating us in the systems that are supposed to be educating us that I think it's a little bit like water we're just fish and water we're so used to swimming in that that some of us don't even challenge it anymore it's just like well maybe I am stupid shit I don't know but maybe I can't do nothing right like you know like you start taking on what the master wants you to take on uh not realizing that there is a white child with exactly your situation somewhere else who's receiving an entirely different set of supports to be their best we had several white presidents in a row that were c students we had a white vice president who got kicked out of multiple colleges and only got back in because oil men wrote letters on his behalf to get his ass back in. We are a country that loves us a mediocre white man, but we are a country that hates supports for us to be excellent wherever we are, whatever thing that we're facing. Your story, you just said so much in your story that it just tripped me up. It was like, like in your one story, there were 80 different ways that I'm having to assume that there's many other kids having the exact same situation you did, but uh, um, feeling isolated and alienated like they by themselves. You know, I mean, want to talk to about it. Bro, he, he talked, he talked to, he talked about it from a law school perspective, but shit, I bet you there's a ton of black ABDs out there that can identify with everything that he just said Absolutely. in terms of, in terms of like when you turn in a chapter in and you got these people looking at you like, well, 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 you're writing, you're writing like, man, listen, I give my, if I give my writer to my community who I'm writing this for, they understand perfectly damn well what I'm saying, right? Well, I'm, not I'm not writing this for you. Well, well, I mean, but you know what, but, it's a, but the fact that you brought that up, I mean, we unpack that stuff a lot. That's one of the reasons I wanted Kamar. And that's why I'm like, yo, I'm telling young EDD students when you go in, hey, read Kawans and Kunjufu because when, when they say something about your writing, you get to point to, hey, this is, you know, if you got something to show, you know, that's why I I appreciated Mark Lamont Hill when I was in college. Right. But I just wanted to share. I, I wanted him to unpack that because I think about my own my own situation. Like you just said, Ray, I think about your situation. And here's the two things that didn't happen. Right. That brother didn't have somebody like at home or whoever to be like, no, no, no. Ain't nothing wrong with you. I got you. And you can't just depend on the black people in the building to look out for you as well, because some of them trying to keep their position. Uh, uh, you know, uh, the chairman said this. A lot of black people didn't want slavery to end. They just wanted to be able to hold a whip. And I think that that stuff, like when you, and so I send a lot of kids to college. I'm really good at that shit. Like I can get kids to college, but listening to his story and unpacking mine, that's when I was like, yo, I got to write a book for first generation black boys that's going. And I want to have other black men that are first generation chime in with their own advice. It's not that I don't think other people's advice is good, but I needed that companion. I needed that uncle. I needed that father or that brother that will step in and help with that. So I want to come out and tell it because you don't think about these things happening at such a level like law school with somebody that's so gifted. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So mm-hmm. brother, I appreciate you sharing that. And I, you know, I, I don't, I know that that can't be an easy story to tell, but look, God put you back in education, got you doing the, doing the Lord's work, man. And uh, I know we coming up on time. I know y'all asked him to unpack. Uh, some of the guests were asking him to unpack the Howard piece. I don't know if you want to quickly mention that and then we can pivot and get folks up out of here. But, um, you know, if, if, if you wanted to, you can or we can try to do that on, on the flip side somewhere else. Yeah, I could do it in, in 60 seconds. Uh, first, uh, out of state fees. Right. And so taking on that that burdensome debt, I didn't have any debt undergrad because I did so well. I had so many so many scholarships. I'm taking on that burdensome debt. 
And then two, uh, unlike maybe perhaps students from other demographics, I was dealing with stuff at home. I couldn't leave. So on this Mother's Day, right, I I'll share this, is that at that particular time, my mother was homeless. I can't go to D.C. and leave my mama homeless. Right. But those are things that the institution won't understand. We might understand them as, as individuals, but they won't understand that. And they'll use that into see, that's why that's what's going on. You got a lot going on at home. And so I only bring that up to say that uh, all of that's factored into uh, into not going to Howard. Uh, but, you know, in retrospect, that might have gave me the community that I needed in order to get through it. Got you. Got you. I mean, we're going we gonna to go ahead and we're going to transition into final thoughts. Uh, Sharif, I'm going to start with you. Um, you go ahead and take it away, good brother. Yeah, you know, first of all, uh, thanks again, brother Kamar, Baba Kamar, for uh, coming <laughs> on. Shout out to you, know, to you know to your work. Um, look, I I agree with y'all. Uh, you know, blocking Ray from joining your book club. It won't be the same. <laughs> I never it be the same. <laughs> Once he joins, you know what I mean? Y'all, y'all want focus scholarship happening. You know, not his not his pranks and jokes and, and ribs, you know what I mean? But but no, but on a serious tip, you know, like you started off really just sharing about Berkeley. And when we talk about like these liberal cities. Um, and these uh, these towns and, and feel like they have all the answers, but they still look at, uh, you know, black children, uh, their their abilities, their God given abilities the same way as, as they would in other places. They like to disguise it better. They like to, you know, talk about it maybe differently. But, you know, as Malcolm said, down south is everywhere south of the Canadian border. Mm. So um, that's, uh, you know, that's really consistent. And shout out to you for uh you know, that trip that you took, it was like a like a pilgrimage of some sort um, that you were able to take. And I, I think, you know, um, that it, that is it part of that black blueprint. When we think about like a lot of our uh, of our elders who say, you know what, I'm going to go travel <laughs> to the continent and have some kind of uh, uh, deep in my spiritual connection. Um, and then coming back and, and continuing to do the work. Um, so keep keep up the great work and and looking forward to to visiting Umoja next time. You know we're out right that way. Right on, mm -hmm. uh, Chris. I encourage people to Google the true history of Black Helen Panhellenic phenomenon. Uh, <laughs> there's no such thing as a Black Greek. God damn it. <laughs> the Black Egyptians. Like a, like the Black Nine came out of the, the, out of that, brother. They so came like, out of a, a true Egyptian there you uh, go. Uh, tradition. Yes, <laughs> uh, yes, yes. And then now we got it straight. Anyways, I'm not going to do any hand gestures because Ray going to get mad and all his people going to come <laughs> yeah, after you me. can't do that, brother. So, no, they like the mafia. They just like, I don't know what the, what the situation is. Anyway, my final word is this. Um, I'm so moved uh, uh, to hear Kamar talk about like the experience he had when he went to Ghana and the challenge he gave himself to do more and to be his best and to live to, to his highest potential. Uh, I'm so moved by that moment that it's a moment we all need to have. And we don't all have to do the same thing because we don't all have the same talents and we're not all like equally like yoked in the same things, but just the call to action to do something, whatever you can to do the most that you can for your people and to by your own standards, not by someone else's standards about uh, like Ray was pointing out the part about, yeah, we're going to get called lazy, whatever we want to do, but you know, when you're really kind of uh, hitting it out of the park and when you're not, you know, when you phoning it in mm -hmm. and there's a lot of like grant work that's being done in this world. There's a lot of like nonprofit industrial grant work that's being done on our children's behalf with their names on it. Um, and it's not all good work. 
So I love to see something like Emoja and and uh, things that come from a true place and a place where there's some thinking, some logic. There's a logic model, um, and, uh, and it's going to do something. Uh, in a place like Berkeley, these progressive cities where black kids are getting the the, the, the short end of the stick. Uh, I can't think of a better thing. So thank you for honestly for being an inspiration, for bringing it to the show, for having us uh, um, hear about these important inflection points in your life. Uh, um, you know, barring the joining fraternity, it all sounds like great stuff. Um, so, so I appreciate it, brother. And um, I mean, see, it's when you in a fraternity, that's when you start having secret book clubs that nobody can join. I'm right? not in fraternity. Like, it's not. They're right? not secret, brother. We just had people join, that, and that then, nobody can join. It didn't work out, and then the the sanctity. You got to keep the sanctity. We be going in, bro. But I'm definitely gonna have Ray go after you on that one, B. Go so, ahead, Ray. Go, go ahead, Ray. Oh, so I. I Listen, bro. Um, <laughs> in pacifist land. Uh, Look, don't let Chris take you off your square, brother. Well, Go I'm ahead. Not, I'm, 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 I'm very. I'm, I'm in a good place. Uh, Kamar, when when it comes your turn, man, if you could just tell these people that you are an iota, that would be great. Um, <laughs> what right, so, a potato. No, 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 no. That's oh, not okay. it. All right. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks. So, so real, real quick, man, I just want to shout out a couple of people that have been pouring into me. I want to shout out Dr. Cole. I want to shout out Dr. Flowers. I want to shout out Dr. Simmons, Dr. Hayes, uh, Dr. Wilson. Uh, these are all folks that are, are at my, uh, that are at my beck and call in terms of if I have something to, to talk about, uh, you know, to get me through this IRB stage of, um, Finally, get into a place to where I can, you know, defend this dissertation, uh, you know, a couple months down the road. And so I just want to shout them out, man. And, and if you are working on your doctor, make sure you get a community of folks that, that, that can have real conversations with you about about the stuff that you're turning in, the stuff that you're submitting or whatever, because. You know, at the end of the day, you know, it, these people can give you real talk in terms of like where you need to go, what you what you need, what what pivots you need to make in your writing, uh, what you need to include, what you don't need to include or whatever. Because uh, a lot of times the people that are chairing your committee, they really don't know. You probably what? should say that after you get done. Uh, but uh, I, <laughs> I mean, your chair might see this. But uh, now, nah, Kamar uh, uh, and, and Ray, we got you, man. You're you going to get through, brother. It's, you you, you got to struggle to appreciate it, man. Um, not my, chair, my chair. My chair is the man. Got you. There you go. Good. Good save. Because your ass will not get done. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Kamar, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you the floor real quick, man. And don't forget to tell these people where they can find you, too, brother. I'm sure it's going to be a lot of people that want to meet up with you and learn more about your work. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I, I want to say first and foremost, I don't think it's a mistake that I was invited to to kind of talk <laughs> on episode 114. Uh, let me just say that for the record. I don't think that that was a mistake, uh, Blue Fire. Uh, but anyway, moving forward, <laughs> moving forward, uh, I, I do want to say this though. Um, unmistakably, this work around emoji is about how do we come together, right? So, if you have the the heart right, and a willingness to partner with me uh, through this Emoja program to do something great in Berkeley, California, for and on behalf, unapologetically, for Black boys um, in, in uh, Berkeley and throughout Oakland as well, uh, reach out to me. I can be found, of course, on LinkedIn, Kamaro Gwen, uh, and also you can reach out to me on that Emoja website that was shared earlier. And so in the spirit of Emoja, I need the community to step up. Eight Black Hands needs the community to step up and partner, and I, I look forward to, to partnering with uh, everybody who wants to do uh, this work on behalf of our students. And with that, thank you so much. 
Hey man, uh, I appreciate that, and I want to. I'm gonna make sure I connect you individually to all the brothers, so y'all can have your own individual relationship. You know, one of the things that I want to do in my career is, um, it's just so many dope brothers that I came up with, man. That just didn't have that don't have the platforms, and you know, I always Kamar is just one of the people, and he's actually not a very like out there person. You know what I'm saying? So I just wanted, I wanted this audience to be able to see, it, and I and I appreciate the the fellas for the. The structure we got around, you know, producing shows, it, it just gives me an opportunity to really just lift up some dope brothers like they get to do. You know what I'm saying? And dope, dope brothers, sisters, whomever. Um, but this this mission that I'm on around black boys and just making sure they just got what they need, man, because we had a time where the world is starting to treat like we got liberation, baby. We we getting stuff signed for other groups. You know what I'm saying? It's always black boy is issue or if the black boy is dead, it ain't never Let's help the black boy that's thriving. You know what I'm saying? And it's and it's um and I'm just feeling that and, and, and been struck by that on like a visceral level. But um I just appreciate all of y'all, man. And Kamar, keep telling your story, keep doing your thing, man. You all have been listening to the eight black hands. I hope that you continue to support. These brothers have been writing their butt off. Um, consider joining uh the Patreon. I know a lot of these brothers are putting stuff in there first and, and early. I have some stuff that I'm gonna drop in there around literacy. Um, that's a training. That's an exclusive training uh, from this super dope brother in Oakland, man. But that's um, there you go. It's at the bottom of the screen. Uh, I hope you all having a, an amazing evening, a blessed night and a blessed week. And we'll see you all next week. You have been listening to the eight black hands podcast with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky and Stewart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at eight black hands one. Thank you for listening.